Kia ora whanau and welcome to the first official episode of Code with Kingy. Now, I think it's only right that I start this whole thing off by saying a massive thank you to all of you that went out of your way to pass on your well wishes and your words of encouragement over the weekend. The support over the last three days has been pretty crazy, uh, unlike anything that I could have imagined, and the fact that I have so many of you here with me at such an early stage, it's really just got me that much more excited to get this whole project rolling and yeah, delivering the goods. So without further ado, I will crack into the footy because that is what you're all here for. And there were three games featuring Kiwi teams across the weekend, the first of which was the Blues taking on the Chiefs at Eden Park. Now, the Auckland-based franchise had actually been the better team in the opening half, with their enthusiasm on both attack and defence rewarding them and winning the majority of the contact. The flow-on from this was quickly recycled ball, all of which led to TJ Fahani recording the game's first clean line break, who then fed Tony Lambourne in for the game's first score. As good as it was to see the Blues play with such intent, the area that I was most impressed with was at scrum time. The work done in the engine room provided the backline with front foot ball and allowed for them to execute two well-worked strike moves, both of which ended in tries to Rico Iwani. This would set the hosts up with a 12-point lead going into the interval, forcing Blues fans into thinking that maybe really this is our year. This would, however, be short-lived as the Blues showed once again that they are the masters of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Within the first 10 minutes of the second half, they had already surrendered their buffer, before being outscored 32-10 and losing the game 37-29. Take nothing away from the Warren Gatlin-led Chiefs though. Their use of the rolling mall led to three of their five tries, and their insertion of experience from the pine showed that structure will more often than not topple flair. Among those to enter the fray and turn the game in the Chiefs' favour were All Black Anton Leonard-Brown and Pivot Aaron Cruden. The latter for me was the real difference maker in the end, his option taking both on attack and with the boot was second to none, and the offload that he provided in the build-up to Solomon Alamalo's try, which saw him split two defenders and pull it round the corner, was just picturesque. He would go on to close out the game with a drop goal and a penalty, adding salt to the wounds of a loss by denying the Blues the also crucial bonus point. Now while I'm not the type to get too carried away with the results from the first week, Friday was just, a, it was just another example that the Blues can't close out games when it matters most. As for the Chiefs though, the fight they showed to claw their way back in the second gave fans an early indication that Gatlin has already done a job in instilling resilience throughout his squad. One of the notable omissions from the game was of course the mercurial Damon McKenzie who had picked up a niggle earlier in the week, so look for him to provide an extra punch when he makes his long-awaited return. Among the positives for Leon McDonald's team though were the performances of his loose forward trio and front row. Both Lambourne and Papali got stuck into everything, but the pick of the bunch for me was number 8 Hoskins Satutu. The son of former blue Waisake Satutu ran for a game high 118 metres, while also providing three offloads and a pair of line breaks. Standouts for the visitors were second row and Mitch Brown, who played the full 80 and finished with a game high 22 tackles. This was closely followed by blindside Lachlan Bashir, who was just as impressive with 18 tackles, while Debutante Quintu Pai has showed why he's won being earmarked for higher honours by providing 80 running metres and 5 tackle busts. Moving on to the second fixture, the Crusaders made the short drive up to Nelson for their clash with the Waratahs, in what was a game seemingly over by half-time, only for it not to be, but then finished with the hosts seeing at home by 18 points. The Waratahs were simply put horrible on Saturday, and outside of two bits of individual brilliance from 19-year-old winger Mak Nawangatawasi, 
there were really no other positives to be taken out of their trip across the ditch. The two sides traded penalties to open the scoring before Will Jordan was put across the line thanks to sustained pressure from a line-out drive. Just over 10 minutes later though, Leicester Whanganuku scraped up a loose ball, which ended in Braden Enor showing a clean pair of heels and pushing their lead out to 8. Whanganuku himself would dot down at the close of the half thanks to a Richie Wanga wipers kick, to which the local boy outlept his opposite and beat three defenders on his way to scoring at his favourite ground. Now all of this would see the Crusaders up by 24 points to 6 at the break, but uncharacteristically they seemed to take their foot off the gas to start the second and allow for the Waratahs to work their way back on the scoreboard. Nawanga Tawasi would make a spectacular diving effort to give aside their first try, and then turned into a poacher by plucking off a Fetu Douglas skip pass, to which that would then cut the lead to 6. In typical Crusaders fashion though, they would close out the quarter with three tries, all of which went to Jordan, Enor and reserve lock Luke Romano, and walk away with the five-point spoils. The biggest takeaway for me from this game was the composure shown by the Crusaders side who had just lost the likes of Sam Whitelock and Owen Franks, while also resting Joe Moody and George Bridge. Having thought about the depth the Crusaders have in their squad, is it fair to say that their second-string backline matches that of the rest of the composition's first-stringers? Having someone like Will Jordan on your bench, who continues to remind me of a young Ben Smith with the way he glides, is almost unfair. And then on top of that, you have your choice of two fringe all-black halfbacks to call on for the last half hour, as well as a first five who earned a end-of-year tour call-up less than two years ago. What the heck? And then, outside of that, besides a handful of handling errors and clearances not finding the grass, the only other notable blemish for the three-time champs was their line-out to which they would go 9 of 13. As previously mentioned, the only real highlight for the Waratahs was the effort of Nawangatawasi. For the men in red though, Scott Barrett put in a captain shift, Enor was relentless on both sides of the ball, and outside backs Whanganuku, Jordan, David Havili and Sevier Reese collectively accumulated 376 metres on the ground. The last New Zealand franchise to feature in round one were the Hurricanes, who took on the Stormers in Cape Town. And in all honesty, I wish I could have the hour and a half I spent watching the game back. Their ill-discipline and inability to string more than four phases together saw them finish the game scoreless, which was something that they hadn't done in 21 years. Now, the signs of a tough day at the office surfaced pretty early, and by early I mean the first 10 minutes, with the Stormers playing bully ball to their undersized forward pack. Forced back inside their own 22, the Hurricanes were caught napping on their own goal line, when halfback Herschel Yanchis lofted a deft kick into the corner to the waiting arms of winger Sergio Peterson. Not long after this though did the Stormers make their way back into enemy territory, and this time it was prop Stephen Kitchoff burrowing over from short range. A loose pass from number 8 Gareth Evans gifted Yanchis his own 5-pointer, and now suddenly the Hurricanes found themselves in a 19-point hole after less than 30 minutes. The visiting team were penalised 7 times in that same stretch, and things would only get worse after the break. Both Billy Proctor and Vi Fafita would spend time in the naughty chair, giving the hosts ample opportunities to run up the score. Fortunately for the Hurricanes though, the Stormers were their own worst enemy, and only managed one try in the second half, which actually ended up being from their own goal line when first five Dalian Valimsa intercepted a pass intended for Nandamapi. The final score in Cape Town read 27-0. Now similar to the Waratahs, there were very few bright spots in the Canes' performance, Reserve halfback Jamie Booth did provide some spark by clocking up 56 run metres from his three snipes, but on two occasions he opted to put the 
ball on the toe when perhaps maybe it would have been better to trust his support. It was a rough start for last year's semi-finalists and they'll have to recover quickly if they are any hope of bouncing back in week two. That wraps up my coverage from this weekend's play, but moving on to my team of the week, and for round one of the 2020 Super Rugby season, I have the Chiefs' Aidan Ross and Samasoni Tokiaho matched with the Blues' Ofatunga Fasi making up the front row. In the locks, I have the lion-hearted Mitchell Brown paired with Crusader skipper Scott Barrett. Then rounding out the Ford pack and the Lucys are Lachlan Boshier, Tony Lamborn and Hoskins Satutu. In the backs, I have Mitchell Drummond donning the 9 jersey and Aaron Cruden running the cutter, while Antoinette Brown and Braden Enor make up my midfield. And then across the back three, it's an all-Crusaders affair with Lester Whanganuku, Will Jordan and David Harvilli. Now, there were a number of notable performances from week one, but the standout individual for me was Aaron Cruden. While the little maestro only saw 40 minutes of play, the influence that he had in the one half to me, provided his team with the confidence and direction needed to pull themselves out of the grave. Like I mentioned previously with the offload, the All Blacks summing up of situations put the Chiefs in the right areas and got them ahead on the scoreboard. His coolness in slotting the drop goal in the final minutes was yet another example of why experience counts for so much at this level, and that he will definitely be a key contributor going forward. He tallied a game-high 12 points, had 6 nudges for 185 metres, and had one spectacular offload. Now to round out each episode, I thought a fun thing to do would be to leave you guys with something I dreamed up over the weekend, or as I'd like to coin it, my shower thought. Now of the handful of things that came to me over the last few days, one thing I did think would be quite interesting is if penalties and drop goals were changed from being worth 3 points to 2. Obviously with the current rules, a try is worth less than 2 penalties, and for someone who's more into rugby for the tries, I felt like this might be a good way to entice teams to put the ball in the corner or pack down a scrum rather than looking to the sideline for the kicking tee. Anyway, let me know what you guys think about all of that because um, that's all I have for episode one. And also, please feel free to send in your feedback, both good and bad, as ultimately that is the only way I'm going to get better. And I want to be giving you guys what you want to hear out of a podcast. So if you just sort of keep letting me feed you guys what you don't want to hear, you are then just going to not want to join me on this journey and that's not what I want. I want you guys to stick with me and I want you guys to grow with me. So yeah, again, a big thank you to all of you that have shared, liked and followed the podcast and also please remember to keep your eyes peeled for other bits of content going up over the coming days on social media. Enjoy the rest of your week, whānau. Um, I will see you all next Monday, but yeah, for now, kei nā.